Good morning, Lifehouse, and happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. Uh, we have just a little treat for you today. Uh, as you leave this morning, we have uh, popsicles for you. And, you know, we couldn't think of any better dad joke than popsicles. Get it? Pops? Anyways. Today, I have the privilege of introducing you to my pop. Uh, to my dad, our speaker, who many of you know. My dad served as lead pastor in Roseburg, Oregon for over 18 years. He was an assistant supervisor, pastored in Oklahoma City, was a district supervisor before he retired just a few years ago. When he retired, he tells people all the time that he got promoted to the nursery to hold the babies here at Lifehouse. Uh, he has a love for people. He pastors, pastors, and I'm honored to have him share with you his heart. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Thanks for speaking for me today. And Lifehouse, will you stand and will you welcome my father, Pastor David Coffey. Hi, everybody. And happy uh, Father's Day to all of you dads out there and grandpas and, and uncles and everybody else. It's really, uh, you know, I used to preach all the time when I was pastoring. Every Sunday you'd preach and you get used to it, and now I don't do it very often. I, I do feel pretty honored to be able to sit and hold babies in the nursery. So if, and I know, I know some of your kids. In fact, yesterday uh, we had a little girl, in the, her name's Autumn, and she, she's been in the nursery for a while now. And uh, when she first came, she didn't want anything to do with me. Uh, she was real quiet and real, but yesterday they were here. With, she was here with her mama, uh, with uh, setting up BBS. I'm not sure if they're in the room or not. But uh, as soon as I went over and said hi, she started smiling at me. That's a win. Yeah, that's a win. <laughs> so I'm feeling good. Uh, I do love babies, and uh, boy, if you're not doing something down the hallway and you're able to serve down there, that would be fantastic. It's a great, great ministry. Um, I uh, I used to, Brian uh, uh, mentioned I used to pastor and you do it every Sunday. And then I was a uh, district supervisor for the last nine years for six states and traveled all the time. So I preached almost every Sunday then too, but it was always in a different church. So you could kind of do the sermon and then go to lunch with the pastor and then get on a plane or whatever and go to go home. Here, Whatever I say today, I got to come back next week. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, okay. So uh, I was thinking about um, what I want to talk about today, because I've been preached on Father's Day for a very long time. P typically, churches don't have people in to speak on Father's Day, I guess, and I just don't remember doing it the last time. So I was thinking about, uh, trying to think about what I was going to preach on, and so uh, my wife decided a while back that, uh, a couple months ago, that we needed to paint our uh, master bedroom for the second time in two years. <laughs> She's looking at me. I was really worried because she never, she never sits on the second row, but she's here right now. And, and I told Kim, she's at a distance where she can actually throw something and hit me. She can't do it from back there where Aaron's sitting, she, but she could from here. So anyway, she uh, said, well, we, you know, we painted it two years ago. I think it was two years. Was it even two years ago? 
two and a half, oh, excuse me, two and a half years ago. And you know you need to paint your master bedroom every two and a half years, right? So uh, she said, yeah, it's just a little too dark now, and I literally don't like it this dark. And, and, and actually, you're right. You're sitting right next to the culprit, Kim, who came to our house and said, yeah, you need to paint this bedroom. So, and I, you know, how, how many of you guys have been married uh, five years? At least five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Do you see whose hand is up right now? <laughs> That's 53 on Tuesday this week, two days from now. So I've learned a lot in 53 years. So anyway, I finally had it. I just put my foot down and said, I'm not painting that bedroom again. I've, uh, you know, this is too much. It's too much work. And I've, I've worked on it all, worked on it before, and I just don't see any reason to do it again. And so I was trying to think about what to preach on. So when I was painting the bedroom later, I, <laughs> I had some thoughts because <laughs> I had a lot of time to think while I was painting the bedroom. So I don't think that I really have anything too revolutionary or uh, something that you may have not thought of. I know there are a lot of younger guys in the room, which I kind of like, because I think it's important to uh, learn uh, along the way about being a father. How many of you felt like you were really, really ready to be a dad the day you had your first baby, if you have more than one? I don't know if any of us, it's like, holy mackerel, now we got this little creature in our house, and... What do we do now? And uh, so I, I, I titled what I'm going to talk about today, Musings from an Old Guy. And by musings, I mean just reflections and thoughts and things that um, I've kind of picked up along the way. They're not, they're nothing, it's not rocket science. But I, I thought about one of the things that, that, that just came to me during that time of painting was... Um, how many dads just don't feel qualified or don't feel ready or whatever? It's amazing how a few years will suddenly turn into a lot of years. And that's one of the things I'd really like to communicate today is if you're going to do good parenting, if you're going to be a good father, you're going to be a good grandfather, if you're going to be a good uncle or, uh, uh, uncle or just a friend of, of children or whoever and a good example, uh, then you'll, you'll learn some things along the way. That's all I've done. I'm 72, going to be 73 years old this year. It just seems like that's impossible because I still feel like I should be the youngest guy in the room. <laughs> My apologies to all of you that are a lot younger than me. But um, I, I just felt like there's some things that you can learn. And I, and I thought about an example in the Bible of for for when we don't feel very qualified and we don't feel very ready to do what God's now called us to do because we do know uh, and everybody remembers that children are a blessing from God. Say that with me. Children are a blessing from God. Keep that in mind at two in the morning <laughs> when... Uh, they throw up all over the crib or poop their diapers or whatever. And, uh, or they're just, you're just dealing with challenges of being a... And I thought about uh, King David. Everybody knows that King David was really the greatest king in all of Israel. And they, he's still revered to this day. And 
But, you know, I thought about how he got there because David's kind of interesting in the sense that if you look in, in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 16 and 17, uh, you'll see the story of how that all came about when Saul was now no longer going to be the king and Samuel was charged with finding the next king and he goes to the home of Eli looking for who it's going to be. Well, Eli's got eight boys and one of them's going to be the king and the, you can read all the story, but he, he, he prances out from the oldest down to the youngest uh, to see who, who it was that it was going to be and uh, what happened. The first seven, none of them were going to be the right one. And so uh, David is the youngest, and he's out tending sheep. And so they call for David to come in, and immediately Samuel recognizes, nope, this is the guy that is supposed to go and lead the nation of Israel. I think that's interesting because you may have somebody in your life that doesn't really believe in who you are. And this applies not just to you as a father or a, a, a grandfather or whatever it might be. It applies to anybody. Ladies, it applies to you. you. You may feel like you have had people just, just disregard who you are or disregard your abilities or your gifts or your calling or whatever it might be. Uh, David knows how that was because that's what he went through. Saul didn't believe in him. Uh, his, his dad didn't believe in him. His brothers didn't believe in him. Saul didn't believe in him. And then in chapter 17, everybody remember the story of Goliath? Yeah, so he's out, uh, you know, they're... they're intimidated, they're overwhelmed, they don't know what they're going to do to try to defeat the Philistines, because, and there's this giant guy standing out there. The predictions are that he was like nine and a half feet tall. He could play on the Spurs team. I mean, nine and a half feet tall. Something in there. I don't care if he was eight feet tall. That's a, he's a big, big, big man, and he's just threatening everybody. And so uh, David says, well, I'll take him on. And, 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 but even Goliath doesn't believe in him now. Oh, he's going to go out and fight Goliath. And so, so nobody believes in David at all. And I'm going to say to you that just because other people or some circumstance in your life somehow makes you feel disqualified to be who God called you to be, God's the only answer that matters. And if he placed children in your life, whatever they may be, your own children, could be from a previous marriage, children whose influence you now have, or it may be that you're an uncle or a grandfather or whatever. If he placed them in your, in your life, he's given you the, the ability to input into their lives everything they have need of. Well, not everything they have need of. Only God can do that. But you can be a tremendous influence in their life. You understand what I'm saying? And so I just want you to think about that when you feel inadequate, because we all do at times in our life. Uh, I, th I think the, one of the great lessons from that scripture, by the way, is um, found in, in, I think it's in verse 38, and I, yeah, I had it in, in uh, chapter 17. In verse 38, um, so uh, David's going to go fight Goliath, right? But uh, so Saul, everybody's all worried about him. And of course, their whole uh, lives are at stake. You have to think about that. Because if this doesn't happen, the deal is that whoever wins this battle between Goliath and whoever goes to fight him is going to be the winner. And so everybody else doesn't have to get slaughtered on the other side. And, and David says, I'll go fight him. So Saul's like, oh man, we got to win this. And because nobody else, nobody else was stepping up to the plate. So... Um, 
So Saul puts his armor on David, and what's David say about that? I won't read the first, but it says basically this. I, I can't wear these. He takes them off because these aren't mine. This isn't what, I can't f- go fight in this. I've never walked in these. I can't fight a battle in this armor. And could I just say that to you too? Your, your situation is many ways similar to everybody else's, but also in many ways unique. And so you have to fight your battle. You have to walk in. I shouldn't say that when it comes to raising kids, right? <clears throat> but sometimes it is. Because I will say this, uh, you know, that sometimes it is a challenge. And you have to be, lots of great books on raising kids and lots of great resources and all kinds of things that you can go get your hands on that will, that will help. But ultimately... God puts you there in that spot at that moment for you to be who you are and who he's called you to be. So let him work in you and understand that uh, as well. Now, I'm going to give you, uh, so that's kind of the backstory. If you don't feel qualified, so what? God says you are. And then I'm going to give you some musings. These musings, by the way, are reflections. It's what old guys use for the term, but it's really just reflections, thoughts, things that they kind of learned along the way. And it's kind of, I was listening to a song last night, and this will really date me, but I kind of like country-type music. And uh, I guess there's any other country music band? Yeah, there's, okay, good. Thank you. I feel much better, (laughs) much more secure now. But uh, there's a group called the Isaacs. I don't know if any of you ever listened to them. They harmonized really, really well, and they were singing a song called Grandpa. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. And uh, I just love it because I'm I'm a grandpa, and I I like the good old days too, which weren't all that great necessarily, but uh, there were a lot of good things about them too, right? So uh, I'm going to give you just some thoughts. They're not revolutionary, but they're thoughts that I feel like I've learned kind of along the way that will be important if you're a father and you're a young father especially. And I say that to all of you online too, because I I sent Stephen this morning before this service started, the second service, that the Lord wanted to say something to some people that were online, young men that would be online with children. And uh, this is really, uh, these are just thoughts that I have, but would you receive them just as that, my thoughts? Uh, Number one, pray. This is what you should do if you're going to be a parent. (laughs) And did I say it up there? Yeah, pray a lot. If you think, if you think even for a second that facing a nine and a half foot giant would require prayer, like David and Goliath, if you think, well, these are just little kids, they're just little babies, they're not a big deal. Really? Have you tried to deal with a three-year-old, strong-willed, undisciplined child? Because they're about as formidable as a nine-and-a-half-foot giant. (laughs) We uh, we were just in Tacoma. I don't know if my daughter's watching right now. Hopefully she's at her church. Uh, (laughs) Well, we were just with them, and uh, we have two grandsons up there, uh, McAllister's seven, just turned seven. We were there for his birthday, and Wellington is their new boy, and he's going to be two in September, right? McAllister and Wellington, I said, well, they're going to be a law firm, evidently, (laughs) because those names, that just sounds like a law firm to me, Uh, but um, Wellington's going to be two in September, 
and he's into everything, and he's challenging everything. You know, and some of you, anybody had a kid like that? Yeah. He gets, it does, they have to, they move the chairs away from the table because if they don't, when you walk in the room, he'll be standing in the middle of the table. Uh, and he's, he's just all over and into everything. It takes, it takes God's help and grace and uh, wisdom that only can come from God in how you're going to raise children these days. I, I, uh, got, I didn't get to watch all of the service last week here because we were in uh, Tacoma, but I caught the last part of, uh, I think, the second service. I'm not actually sure. Yeah, I think it was the second service uh, when Dan uh, Hicks, and I know that was a great message, and I even referenced the, the, the uh, scripture that he preached from in Proverbs. But I, I just, I, I thought, that's why you have to pray. That's why you, you have to pray a lot is because you need to not lean on your own understanding because you won't figure out what all those things are that make it work in that child's life without the help of God. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. Don't lean on your understanding. And he'll, he'll direct your path. What I particularly liked about that was, which is the part I saw, I'm sure the sermon was all great, but when Brenda came and gave the word that she had had from the Lord about the broken plate. Remember, is anybody here? You remember that? Because we don't feel adequate. We don't feel like we have the ability to do what it is that we need to do in raising these kids the right way. And, and, and she talked about the broken plate for you that weren't here, and, and they were having grand, grandkids or great-grandkids, I can't remember which, over, over to their house for dinner and stuff. And uh, before they got there, they broke his plate on the tile floor, and it shattered into a thousand pieces. And she talked about her and Dan trying to get all those pieces all up because they don't want the little children to get into them or to cut their feet or whatever it might be, or hands. And, or to eat one because they eat anything, uh, if they're depending on their age. But uh, she talked about how that and how, what a great picture that is of how when we don't feel adequate, and dads sometimes we just don't feel adequate. We don't feel like we got it. We we feel incapable of being, and we sometimes we overcompensate by yelling a lot or uh, you know throwing around our weight or whatever. But the reality is we need help from God and. And her point was that God knows where every little tiny piece of brokenness is in your own life to help make you the person that you need to be. And that's true in your life as a father as well, that he'll do that for you. So I want to encourage you that the place to start is, and, and be a model, be a model to your, to your children of what it is to pray. Doesn't hurt to do that. In fact, it does a lot of good to do that. They won't feel embarrassed to pray if they don't see you being embarrassed to pray. So uh, can I just say that? And I didn't say this before, and I should have said it earlier. <clears throat> and if you can't tell, I'm dealing with a bit of a, well, I feel really good from about here down. From here up, my head's full of, I sound, I, I'm hoping I don't sound like Donald Duck today or something. Because I, you know, you know how it feels when you're, you're talking and you got a head cold or whatever it is I got going on, but I feel like I'm talking from a barrel of some sort. So anyway, I didn't say this, but I, nothing I say today is meant to condemn anybody or to make you feel horrible about who you are, 
where you're at right now in your situation, your relationship, or whatever it might be. And you may have even had a bad experience yourself. You may have a ton of issues from growing up with a father that wasn't attentive or was a failure in a lot of ways or whatever. It's not meant to put you under any of that kind of condemnation. That's not of God. Uh, we, we have a God that cares about us, that's full of grace, and he wants to help us get through. In fact, I, I noted this, and if I had time, I was going to do it at the end, but I feel like I'm going to do it right now instead. Here's one of the commitments I made in life it, it, that I, I don't think I fulfilled it all the way or that I've been that great at it. I had a wonderful father. My father was uh, a farmer, grew up on a farm in the Midwest of Missouri, and, and uh, he's just a, I, I, I call him and people like him salt of the earth kind of people. A uh, lot, uh, lot of wisdom, but not a lot of education. He went to the eighth grade, and uh, as I was told many times, he walked uphill in snow five feet tall every way, both ways every day. But uh, uh, he, he, uh, he wasn't greatly educated, but um, uh, he could do anything uh, in terms of building. He could he built, I don't know how many houses, from scratch, all himself. He was very very good at that. He did not pass any of those genes, not even one of those genes down to me. I think what happened, actually, I do think this happened. I think it just skipped over me and went to Ryan because he likes to do that kind of stuff. He, he builds all kinds of things and I can't even cut a board straight. Uh, in fact, the pastor I assisted when I first got out of Bible college in Grants Pass, Oregon, uh, they were doing some remodeling and adding some carpet or something back in one of the rooms and they asked me to cut the carpet it's the last time I ever, I, I never was asked to cut carpet ever again because it looked like a dog's hind leg when it got done. It was not good. So, uh, but he was, uh, my dad was just a, a, a good man, a good solid man, salt of the earth, godly man. My goodness, godly. You could hear him praying from, a, a, you know, a week away. <laughs> he was one of those deep voice prayers and all of that, but he wasn't perfect. I, I highly respect him. I highly regard him. But one of the commitments I wanted to make was I don't, I don't want to just repeat uh, any shortcomings that he had. I didn't want to, you know what I mean about generational stuff. You know, the sins of the fathers are passed down from generation to generation. And I don't know that that was all sin or anything. I don't think that because he was a godly man. But I just don't want to repeat all of that. I would... I, I just wanted to, I made kind of a vow to, to make, make, have my own failures, <laughs> my, my, my original. I wanted to be creative. I'm not very creative, but at least I could surely have my own shortcomings, and I don't have to repeat somebody else's. And that might be a good commitment for you, too. Don't get caught up in what wasn't in your own life from your father. Be who you're supposed to be and make your own mistakes. Is that fair enough to say? Does that make any sense? I don't even know if that makes sense. All right. So pray and pray a lot. But number two, this is my second musing, is this. Live what you preach. And by that I mean live what you say to your kids, to, to how, how you tell them to live. It, 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 kids, kids are amazing at how they pick up stuff in your life. Uh, I would say maybe to say it bluntly as this, don't be a hypocrite. Don't say one thing and then do another uh, when it comes to your kids because they will mimic that to the T. 
They absolutely will. First Timothy 4.12 says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. And that's, that's how we're supposed to live our life. And that's true for everybody. It's not just dads. But we're supposed to be examples of what it, that is like uh, for our children as they grow. And if you think it's not important, let me give you an illustration of one that I, I think is pretty good. I'm going to read it because I don't want to miss the, the wording of it. But uh, there were two young boys, uh, this is many years ago, who moved to a small town in Missouri. I actually know where it is because I grew up in Missouri. The boys were the sons of a well-known preacher. A few days after the preacher and his family settled into their home, the boys found what seemed to be a stray black dog with a few white streaks on its tail. And the boys asked their dad if they could keep the stray dog, and he agreed. Well, a few days passed, and another family that had just moved into the neighborhood uh, came looking for their lost black dog with white streaks on its tail. The family knocked on the preacher's front door. He opened it and engaged his new neighbors in conversation. Overhearing the conversation, the two boys took shoe polish and turned the white streaks on the dog's tail to black. Sound like boys? <laughs> no failure on their part. It's just what boys would do, right? And then the boys carried the dog to the front door to show its rightful owner that their dog did not possess any white streaks. The preacher looked at his neighbors and asked, how could this be your dog? For our dog doesn't have any white streaks on its tail. The preacher dad lied and covered for his boys. The dad kept the dog, but later lost his sons. The names of those two boys, by the way, Frank and Jesse James, two of the most notorious gangsters in American history. Listen. Your kids are watching you all the time, and they're going to do what you do. Uh, their, their reactions and actions and how they respond, uh, and, and I just got to tell you, I'm the last one that would say I'm perfect at that. In fact, I, uh, I think I told this story in the first service. Uh, who knows how these are going to go, because I won't say the same thing in the, same, in the two services probably, but... Um, I coached, uh, helped coach my son's basketball team in high school. And uh, I always remember, and this, this is, I'm telling you this because I had to repent from this. But um, my, so they're, they're having a bad game. I think it was in Days Creek, Oregon or something. And, and uh, I just always remember they were struggling. It was just like one of those nights when kind of things are kind of off. And, and uh, Ryan was a guard and uh, a really pretty good player and, all that, and it was just like they were just off, not right. And I was so frustrated. I was just so frustrated. And I'm a, is anybody else here a yeller? I'm kind of a yeller. <laughs> I don't mean color yeller either. I mean yeller, <laughs> like shouter, loud. And uh, I could be heard fairly easily on the basketball court, even over a crowd. And um, he threw the ball out of bounds to nobody. <laughs> I hope he's not watching I don't, uh, but he did he'd, he'd tell you it happened and um, I'm, we called time out and they come over to the huddle and I'm, I'm yelling at him I said, what are you thinking about why did you do that 
And I just always remember he turned to me and said, well, Dad, I'm not trying to mess up. And I, I feel like that represents us sometimes, and maybe your, even your own children is. We're not, we're not trying to mess up. We're not, but it, we, we, gotta, we, we have to figure out somehow how to uh, reach our children in a way that doesn't require us then to have to repent later. But don't be afraid to when you are. And that'll be one of the points in a second as well. So, number three point uh, that I reflection, I say. Live what you preach. Pray, pray a lot. Live what you preach. Number three, make your marriage and family a priority. Nothing else can come second to your family. And by that, I mean job. I know you got to work, obviously. Uh, but I can tell you, uh, and it doesn't, this sounds terrible, I guess, but I, you have to find a way to balance that some way so that it doesn't take the place of your family. Because we are in a society, we're, even in church life, I, I think Ryan and Jay and different pastors would probably agree that pastors have to deal with this as well. That, that, it's, it's all God's work, right? We, we're on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I'm I'm, I'm not saying this just because it's my son that's the pastor here. I had to live this out too. But it cannot be what fills your cup all the time. Sure, it's great. It's great to get up and be able to talk to people who are somewhat polite to you and they're nice and they receive. And they're, you know, if that's all good and fine. And that, that's, that's, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's worthy of honor and all of those things. But that cannot be what fills your cup. It has to be your relationship first with the Lord. And you have to, in terms of priority, you have to, that's got to be first. In fact, I did not use this illustration, but since my wife's sitting on the second row and so far doesn't have anything in her hand, uh, I just remember, if she, if she was up here right now, she would tell you, of regrets in life about raising our children, this would be one of them. She missed our son, Ryan's, kindergarten graduation. Isn't that true? The, oh, excuse me. She corrected me, as she does pretty easily. Uh, it's the only thing she's ever missed, and she feels horrible about it. Kindergarten. <laughs> that's just what I said. What? But, but that's how it should be. It should be those kind of things really matter in your life. And I know there are all kinds of extenuating circumstances. I'm not saying that you can be perfect in that. There'll be times. In fact, I had one where I missed um, a basketball game of his because I was at a men's retreat. And you were at a women's retreat, weren't you? So it was all really good. We were doing it for God, right? No. Sometimes you just got to make that the priority in your life. Well, always in your life. Even above something that's really good. And I'm not, I know that you can get sloppy. I know that you can get lazy with that. There are people right now probably that are still using uh, COVID as an excuse to somehow not be involved in church life or in their, you know, in relationships or whatever. Uh, don't let the enemy use that in your life. Okay? So make your marriage, make your family uh, a priority. Because I have a feeling that when... And I can't prove this, okay? But I think it's true. 
when we get to heaven, we're all going to go to heaven, right? Because we all know Jesus, right? Because if you don't, you should find Jesus before you leave today. Which would be, that'd be the icing on the cake. But when we get to heaven, what's the first thing we're going to be asked? Well, Dave Coffee. <clears throat> how, how much money did you have in the bank? How much, how big a house did you have? What kind of car did you drive? What did the community think about you as a person and a leader? What club was you, were you in? What was, what was your status in your society? I, I, I just, I don't have any way of proving exactly, but somehow I can't see that conversation happening. You know why? One of the reasons why is because it doesn't even make any sense when you think about it because um, a whole lot of the world, those people in the Amazon that are meeting Jesus right now because of all of the stuff that you're doing down in Colombia, uh, they don't have, they don't have, they're happy with a bowl of rice. They're happy with a, a dentist coming from far away to come and help them with their teeth or whatever. It's not like, well, when they get to heaven, what's, what's, well, tell me about all your status. That's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen for you or me either. So you can have all the things in the world in your life right now, but that's not going to be the first thing that's asked. I think it's going to be stuff like this. How did you love your family? How did you provide for your family? How did you instill these kind of virtues into your family and these godly principles into your family? I think that's the kind of thing that we're going to be asked. And I probably uh, will never do this again, but uh, I'm going to read a quote uh, from a guy that used to, uh, this is an old quote, and it's from way, way back when, but he used to be the head of the Mormon church. Probably the last quote I will ever read from the head of the Mormon church, but it's a really good one because it's truth. This is not doctrine, but truth. The hope, excuse me, the home is the first and most effective place to learn the lessons of life. Truth, honor, virtue, self-control, the value of education, honest work, and the purpose and privilege of life. Nothing can take the place of home and rearing and teaching children. And listen to the last part. And no other success can compensate for failure in the home. I say that not to make somebody feel bad because it may make you feel bad if you've had a failed marriage or you've grown up in a broken home or, or you may be estranged from your parents right now or whatever it might be. It's not, it's not that. I'm saying do what you have to do at this point from the day forward to get that right. That's, that's the point. Because, I mean, we live in a, in a culture and in a world right now that where broken marriages are everywhere, including, by the way, in the church. In fact, I haven't looked it up, but I'm going to say this. I think the divorce rate in the church is probably not any greater than it is or any less than it is in the world. And I'm not, I, that's not a condemnation to anybody who's been through a divorce. God's a restorer. He'll bring restoration. He's full of grace and all of that. But we ought to make what, wherever our relationship is right now, in terms of a marriage and family, that should be our priority. Thank you. One person agrees with me. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I don't ask for much. I mean, really, one will be fine. So number four, so make your marriage a family and family a priority. Number, number four is this. Be a giver and not a taker. Teach your children what it is to give. 
Because we live in a society that is all about taking and gathering and having. And, and if you don't make that a priority in your life, it will not happen in my opinion. I don't think most children, you, you tell me that um, a six-month-old, I watched this happen in the nursery. You know that when they get a toy in their hand, they don't particularly want somebody else taking that toy out of their hand. Well, who, did, who taught them that? Nobody, I don't think any of your parents are teaching them that. So that's just who we are in our sin nature. Our fallen nature is if we want, that's mine. I watched uh, <laughs> I, our kids, you know, they're so blessed. And these little ones, a little that two-year-old up in Seattle, I, I watch him. And he's, he's uh, <laughs> I, was wa- I was watching him one day. I think it was when uh, Diane and, and Amber were out shopping or something, and I'm, I'm in charge of the boys. That's dangerous. And uh, I was in the living room, and he's, he's all over everywhere. Wellington is. He's just, he's just into everything. And uh, so, if you know, he'd rather be standing on the table or uh, reaching for something that he can't really get to uh, than playing with the whole corner of the, of the living room has got toys. Every kind of toy is imaginable. Everything they could possibly want. He's got a little slide to go down. He's got a little basketball hoop. He's got every, all kinds of toys. But he, he I, all of a sudden, I don't hear him. And I'm going, mm. so I go in the, in the living room, and there's a glass vase, like about that tall maybe, and, you know, decoration thing. It's got sticks in it or something. And uh, he's in there, and when I walk around the corner, He's looking. He he's looking at me when I come around the corner, smiling, and he's got his hand on it. And I made one giant leap to stop it from coming over on top of him because he's just going to pull it over. So, so it isn't that he doesn't have stuff. He just wants the other stuff, and that's why I think it's really, really, really important as a parent teach your kids the blessing of giving. And when I say giving, I mean yeah, giving to the Lord. Uh, you, you need to teach your children what, that, what that's about. And they need to see you do it. In fact, I didn't mention this in the first service, and I really should have, because one of my fondest memories in life as a kid, I was probably, oh, my mom died when I was 12 of leukemia. So I had to be, it was younger than that. It was probably when I was eight, maybe, or nine years old. My dad uh, worked as a meat cutter at Swift Packing Company, and at the time, as I recall, I think he was making about $100 a week, raising four kids. Uh, and uh, that's not a lot of money even in today's world, probably. But I always remember on Fridays, he got paid on Fridays, it, he'd sit down on the couch. Uh, I think we called it the divan. Didn't they used to be called a divan? Yeah, the divan, yeah. And uh, thank you. We just all dated ourselves really bad. But... And uh, with my mom, and they would lay out the money, and they always took the $10 over here for his tithe. That's, and, and then I got a paper out. I became our town's paper boy, which they don't even have anymore. Do they have newspapers still? <laughs> but I was the town paper boy, and that was, uh, that was there's no getting around this. You, you're going to, whatever you make, if you make a dollar, you're giving a dime to the church. You're giving a dime to God. If you make ten dollars, you're given a dollar. I, I that was ingrained, and so I, I've never I've never struggled at all 
with being able to give to the Lord. Now, it's not just a matter of giving to the Lord. If you give to the Lord, you'll be a person who is willing to give to others as well. And because you're, that's your heart. You become a giver, not a taker. And we live in a society that's all about gathering and taking. So teach your children what it is to give. Why is it so important in today's world? It's because we have a culture of taking. I read this uh, in a quote. Uh, in 2008, there was a study by uh, the Harvard Business School professor Michael Norton. And his colleagues found that giving money to someone else lifted participants' happiness more than spending it on themselves. Isn't that interesting? That's despite the fact they thought it would be better if they spent it on themselves and they'd be happier, but they really found out that giving it to somebody else made them more happy. And we're not even talking about spiritual stuff. We're not talking about giving to God. We're talking about giving to another person that had a need in their life. I just, I just think that's really interesting. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. We should be givers to those who don't have. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that said, it is more blessed, what's it? More blessed than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, get that in your head, will you? And, and you'll be blessed when you teach your children how to give. There's nothing greater than watching uh, one of your kids uh, take a prize toy and going and handing it to somebody else and said, here, I want you to have this. Is there any greater joy in life that you have, unless it's something that costs $500? And you shouldn't be buying, you shouldn't be buying your kids toys that cost $500 anyway, in my personal opinion. But, uh, you know. So be a, uh, be a giver, not a taker. Learn what that is about in teaching your children. Number five, and I'm kind of finishing with this, uh, but it's really important. I, it's really hard for me because I think I'm always right. Anybody else here always think, think you're, you're right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the rest of you are just fibbing right now. <laughs> but number five, you aren't always right. You aren't dads. You're not always right, and it's okay to say so. I think some of the greatest lessons in life are learned when we see other people make mistakes, and even when, listen, even when we make mistakes, even when we fail. In fact, I remember a quote by, uh, I think it was Bill Gates or somebody, Microsoft person, and he said this. He said, success is a terrible teacher of what it is to succeed. That makes sense? That success, failure is how you learn. When you make mistakes is how you learn. And that's, that's, that's me. I'm just one big old mistake up here. You know, that's, that's all I've done. I've just walked through life learning and figuring things out along the way and being, making mistakes sometimes and getting it right. But like I said at the start, what we won't want to do is we don't want to just repeat other people's mistakes. We should be learning from those, Right. Uh, and so I, I love this quote from uh, Colin, uh, Colin uh, Powell. Colin, how do you say his name? Colin, Colin Powell, yeah. Uh, he was the General Secretary of State and all that. But uh, he said these words because sometimes, uh, can I say this? Sometimes as dads, fathers, we kind of have a, uh, what's the right term? Like, I'm the king, and I'm always right. And we don't want anybody to see that we actually 
fail sometimes or we make mistakes. And, and one of the greatest lessons that we can all learn is the importance of repenting and saying, no, I'm, I was wrong. I was wrong about that. I was wrong how I handled that or what I did in that situation. But he, he, he makes this quote, which I think is really good. He says, the commander in the field is always right and the rear echelon is always wrong unless proven otherwise. Think about that for a second. So I would say this to you. We're not always right, and it's okay to say it, that we're not always right. Uh, here's what I, one of the things I'd like to kind of close with is I, I want to encourage dads to never let uh, a position, a title, and pastors have to deal with this. You should know that. I can say that now because I'm an old guy and retired. And, but pastors have to deal with this. You, you may have to do it in your job or your work or whatever. If you're over people and you're, you can let a title become who, what identifies who you are. And you can let that build an ego in you that's not godly. Ne- never, never let a position, a title. Um, I, I was the district supervisor uh, for which is an incredible. This is a. I always refer to myself as I'm a little pea picker from a little town called Easton, Missouri, and 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 if you've never heard of Easton, Missouri, by the way, it has. When I left, it had 173 people in it, and uh, and that's the town I grew up in. We had 80 kids in our high school. I did finish in the top 10 of my class. There are 15 in my class. But I'm just a little, I'm just a little pea picker from eastern Missouri. And, and uh, so and I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know why God chooses to use people like you and like me, but he does. And he blessed me with a wonderful church in Oregon. He brought us out here to Texas. And I served in a district for three years, and then that all blew up. And it was like, oh, man, God, you forgot it. What happened? I was really liking doing that as an assistant supervisor. And uh, banished us to Oklahoma. <laughs> like, what did I do wrong, God? <laughs> all of my Oklahoma friends, please, I love Oklahoma. <laughs> I, I really do. In fact, we're hoping to be up there next month for a memorial service. But... Uh, well, six years we passed it and, and built two churches, built a building up there, built a building in Oregon. So I'm just doing what I think God wants me to do. And then he brings me to the district for six states, and I'm traveling all over and in these high-profile meetings and all this stuff. And you can get a little bit of a, you know, oh, I'm something else than a piece of cake too, you know. I'm, I'm okay. But... You can't let that define who you are. There's a song. I, I, I was tempted to play this, but I'm not going to. But some of you, did I ask some of you guys are country fans, right? Tim McCraw. Tim McGraw, his name, yeah. He has a song called Always Be Humble and Kind. Has anybody heard that song? How many of you have heard that song? If you haven't heard that song, look it up. You can go online, look it up, and it'll play it for you. It's just really, really good words about, and, and could I say that to you as fathers, dads? 
Learn what it is to be humble with whatever it is that you have. You, you know, you can be prideful with $10 in your pocket. Or you can be humble with $1,000 in your pocket. Do you know what I'm saying? Learn what that is to carry yourself in that way. To always, uh, and, and I should say this, being humble and having humility is not about weakness. Because sometimes we think, well, we've got to be real strong. You know, we've got to, you know, go in there and take the bull by the horn. And I'm not, I'm not saying that there's wrong with, anything wrong with leadership. That's great. That's good. But even in being a great leader, we, we have a president. In fact, uh, he's going to be here next week, right, Randy? Randy, you'll, 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 feel, you'll feel from his demeanor how humble uh, Randy Remington is. And he's pastored churches with thousands of people and he's leading our denomination now. So I'll leave it at that. Fathers, dads, all of you, always be humble and kind. Let's pray together.